Mississippi Delta. Hell yeah. Name was Ocean Campbell. You just need Ken Burns, man. Exactly. Exactly. Hey, folks, how you doing? Welcome back to the Noel Castler podcast, episode 66. We about to get our kicks. Got my friend Stephen Van Patten back here with me. Some of you guys, if you didn't catch the special we did a couple weeks ago, it was excellent, but we had some audio issues, so we got him back on the full pod, the audio hour, and uh, I'm psyched to talk to this guy, and I think you're going to be uh, happy with what you hear. He's a very astute sort of chronicler of the political scene, and he's also a colleague of mine in live television for many years. He's a DGA stage manager, which is no small accomplishment if you know the business. There ain't many of them, and they don't leave their jobs when they get them, (laughs) you know? I was offered a DGA thing in 2000, and I already knew the deal. I was like, I'll be competing with the same people I've already been working with, and uh, my buddy, took that joey i don't know if you know little joey despenzero he took the gig i do yeah yeah you know he barely works it's a political game it's a great thing but i was like essentially i don't want to take anybody other else's job and i like my little niche you know and i like not having to be in the the camera meetings and all the official stuff you have to do (laughs) but uh, anyway exactly so how you doing today Stephen? i'm good i'm good um just uh you know just uh, it, you know, I, I get into these conversations uh, about what's going on in the news every once in a while. It's so funny. Um, I just recorded uh, an episode of my podcast with my other uh, co-hosts, uh, Mark Abbott, Kirk Johnson, and Denise Tapscott. And we were going to get into probably the stuff that we're about to get into now. But I think just exhaustion just kind of like uh, just hit us a little bit. So we ended up like doing one of our more, I guess, comedic episodes. And we talked about, you know, the stuff that we were originally supposed to be talking about in our podcast, like horror and science fiction, and all that other stuff from like the middle age black lens, I guess. But, um, <clears throat> you know, uh, I can guarantee you <laughs> that uh, the next podcast will probably be, I don't know, a, a lot more grim Right. Because uh, we're going to be tackling a bunch of stuff. Uh, I know to tackle. I hear that, man. And that podcast is called Wine, Beef and Shenanigans, by the it's way. Beef, wine and shenanigans. I get it wrong. But either way, it is. It is you want to drink first. That's what it that's is. Me. I'm an alcoholic. I'm a recovering exactly. alcoholic. So I go right to the, you know, I'll eat dinner <laughs> later. <laughs> but it's it's a great name for a podcast. And it's a great podcast. If, if you haven't listened to it, do it. Uh, I, I was on it. And I liked how we did laugh, but we talked about serious subjects. And and that's something that like we need more of. That's the kind of like comedy that I came out of. I came out of comedy where I grew up in PG mm-hmm. County, like yeah, yeah. in the hood. It doesn't sound like the hood, but it was in the late 70s, early 80s. Outside of D.C. was, you know, I moved to New York and I was like, oh, y'all are soft up here. <laughs> you have no idea. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know. So we laughed about serious issues, you know, and as you know, my comedy is about that. You know, it, it, it's I'm trying to tackle these things we're facing because they're coming at us a, a mile a minute. And and I liked when you were on that podcast, you're the only guys who picked up on something that I I, I 
talked about a lot on my own podcast and others and nobody bit and you guys got exactly what I was talking about and it's sort of back in the news now and I framed it as the Atticus Finch syndrome you know where there's a certain demo of middle-aged and older white people that are sort of raised to believe in these institutions you know and that the institutions will save them particularly you know the Department of Justice obviously Atticus Finch you know, to kill a mockingbird, he was a defense attorney and sort of a, a fictional civil rights hero in terms of that novel. <laughs> but, you know, the good guys now are not behaving in the way you want them to. Just last night, Mark Meadows and Dan Scavino, it was said, you know, by the DOG that they weren't going to produce, you know, pursue charges based on contempt for not showing up to the Jan 6 committee. The Jan 6 committee is like, what the hell? Why not? <laughs> you know? You know, there's some speculation that they're trying to, like, you know, build an airtight case and they're getting bigger fish. I I personally don't really buy that. You know, I think they'll go for guys like, you know, Peter Navarro, who they arrested yesterday. But, you know, it's small fish. The big fish keep swimming because the pond has a lot of other people that are fishing in it. Right. There's a lot of other poles in that pond so to speak. Right. And, And that's why Trump was allowed to be Trump for so long. And I'll shut up in a minute. But you know, when I say something like that, I'm saying it from the point of he's attacked friends of mine. You know, I know women that he's sexually assaulted. I know stuff that he's done behind the scenes that never Mm -hmm. came out that NBC knew about that was common knowledge in our business. And that's not to mention, you know, the first case the DOJ had against Donald Trump and his father was 1973 for discrimination in housing, for racial discrimination. Mm-hmm. He put a big red C right. on an application that belonged to a black family in Brooklyn and in Queens, where they got exactly. gov- government loans to build housing, right? They got loans that were no interest loans from the FHA to build these houses for returning GIs and their families. They ripped off the tenants, they ripped off the government, and they racially discriminated, right? So that's 50 years ago and the dude's still walking free, right? He turned 76 this month, you know, mm-hmm. not to mention all the other stuff, his pilots and the helicopter in Atlantic city that were, you know, cooperating with a money laundering investigation. And all of a sudden the yeah. rental helicopter goes down. People forget about that, but there's a lot of smoke around that dude. That's never been investigated, you know? And I think it, it that's harder for the white community to accept than it is for the black community. And I can't speak for the black community that, you know, but, you know, it was like the famous thing when Trump got elected, Chris Rock, and I think David Chappelle went on SNL and they're like, what are y'all surprised about? We're not surprised. Yes. You know what I mean? This is how it works. Of course, y'all voted for the racist mf -er. (laughs) And you know, know, it was funny. I was actually there for that episode. Oh, wow. Okay. I was actually into it because just kind of a funny thing. I was, um, I was actually on a date. Oh, no. (laughs) And, um, you know, Saturday Night Live doesn't normally call me. They normally have their, but I guess they they must have been really stuck this one right. day. So I literally had to date drive me to 30 Rock in the middle of the date. And then I run out and I'm there just in time to throw this cue that they needed a third stage manager for, for the sake of the rehearsal. Then they all go upstairs and we're all just kind of commiserating, whatever. Then they cut the sketch. So now I was like, I was torn between, well, I could just go to hell home. Or I could actually be here for this incredibly groundbreaking moment of Dave Chappelle addressing the fact that this Klansman's been elected president. So I chose the latter. And uh, yeah, and I got to see all of that in person. Um, But 
I mean, just 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 the the overall thing as far as <clears throat> you know housing. Let, let, let's let's tackle that for a second. That that's that hasn't been a fair setup since the New Deal, right? And basically, you're talking about the history of Robert Moses, and I'm not going to like go into the whole arc of thing, but the the long and short of it is the New Deal uh, ended up helping a lot of folks achieve home ownership in the suburbs while they built this, you know, sort of like opulent roadway and they kicked people out of, you know, out of where Central Park was so they could make Central Park. And all of this negatively affected Black people yep. and people of color in general. And, and the way it, it, it's been framed is, is more or less like, like, like this is something we wanted. Like th- we wanted to end up in these projects and then have, you know, da- you know, bad actors right. like like bring us these guns and drugs so we could be like out here killing each other. And, and, and that was not the case. The, 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 the truth is, you know, the 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 grab yourself up by your bootstraps crowd doesn't seem to understand that the deck was stacked like since the 40s. Right. Okay, forget Trump in the 70s. And the fact that nobody really called him out on that outside of who Snoop Dogg during his freaking uh, Comedy Central roast. Right. Um, you know, th- there's been a history of like just keeping certain people in certain areas and, and, and then blaming them for it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it, it, and it's just like the, 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 the it's just the worst con of all time. Basically. Absolutely. And it becomes culturally you know, entrenched. It becomes a generational thing. We got into that last time. The guys I went to high school with were the original white flight. You know, they're the sons of of the grandparents and parents that fled the inner cities for those leafy suburbs after World War II. And I love that you mentioned Robert Moses. I still see his legacy every time I drive around the New York area. And most people may not know this, but if you get on you know, a road to go into like a parkway to go up into Westchester or go into Long Island, you'll mm-hmm. pass through these overpasses and they're like 12 to 14 feet high. That was designed so city buses couldn't bring black folks and other minorities out to Jones Beach, up right. to the leafy suburbs. It was designed as a prison almost to keep a certain demographic stuck in the city when we invested money in, in, in sort of making the suburbs nice and making home ownership cheap. And it's fun to watch that to this day because every day i drive these roads i'll see a tractor trailer or somebody who didn't get the memo right he's following gps and all of a sudden he's stuck and backing up so it's a physical way you can see the legacy of racism in this country and you know a shout out to pete Buttigieg because he gave a talk this year from the podium and addressed that stuff he specifically i believe called out robert moses you know And we talked about this last time you were on the show, you know, the Central Park neighborhood of Buffalo, where the top supermarket was, was once a thriving, like black success story. There was, you know, these big wide avenues with huge maple and oak trees down the center of the street. I mean, it was just bucolic. It had tons of wealthy black families that owned homes in it. And what happened? Buffalo put a highway through it. The same thing, you know, they did 
in New York up there yeah. and they put a highway through it and then that bisected the community. So the people that were on the one side of the highway couldn't walk to the grocery store on the other side of the highway. That's what's known as a food desert. The South Bronx is where all the food used to go through Hunts Point and they couldn't even get to a grocery store half the time, not yeah. to mention the exhaust. I don't mean physical exhaustion. I mean, carbon monoxide. I mean, poison. You know, that's why they have the highest asthma rates in the country, in the South Bronx. You know, yeah. so we poison people. We put them, in, you know, in gentrified or not non-gentrified sort of, you know. Like traps. Right. Like, tra like and real you, estate traps. And Let, people, let's call it what right. it is. And people don't understand how hard it is to get out of that situation. You know, I'm trying to write a bit now about like people don't understand how expensive it is to be poor. Right. You get yeah. higher interest rates, higher uninsured mm -hmm. rates. Nobody gives you a loan. you got to take a payday loan, you know, at a 40 percent interest rate. There's all these kinds of like penalties for being poor. We're a country that punishes the poor when you're rich. You notice this because you work in, in TV, right? When you're a celebrity, everything's free. You never pay for anything. Like, why are you giving the free sunglasses to the fucking millionaire? You know Dude, what I mean? I got, I got a good one. You'll, you'll love this. So back when, and back in the Stone Age, when, when cell phones first became a thing, um, and then right after that, there was, that, there was this point where there was like, like what they call it, two ways, right, or something yeah, like that. And then so, Nextel, Nextel, yeah, yes, yeah. yes, yes, yes. So. Nobody had this thing, right? And when these things first came out, nobody right. really had them. And then I remember, because I used to stage manage Total Request Live, uh, I'm going in the, dr in the dressing room to get uh, KK Holiday, who used uh -huh. to be one of the VJs. And um, I'm like, okay. And he's just sitting in the, in the makeup chair and they're trying to do his makeup and he's busy fucking with this thing. And, da, 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 da. and, and I'm like, KK, we got to go. And he's like, yo, Steve, man, you got to get one of these. And I'm like, why? I, I'd only end up talking to you. Nobody else I know has this thing. What's the matter with you? You know, and this just, just goes to show you how out of touch people are once they, they, once they live that certain life. Right. You know, and, and, and it's like, and I mean, he didn't mean anything by it. He didn't know, you know what I'm saying? But it's just like, my, my man, you got a free prototype thing and talking about, I'm supposed to go get one now. Right. First of all, I'm going to go have to pay half my paycheck for that because it just came out right it's like come on man stop <laughs> right that's funny oh you know and that's probably where i know you from originally was because i used to do a lot of mtv stuff in the late yeah. 90s i mm -hmm. did all the the new year's eve from the trl studio remember back in the day i when remember being... vividly and, and you... so fun fact new year's eve is my birthday no shit oh so but yeah you know it was funny i i had so many horrible birthdays as a kid that I, you know, once it came to be that, you know, oh, well, you could work. I was like, okay, then I'll work. So yeah, I hear you. I, I would eliminate having to figure out if I'm going to have a good time or not and, and, and just, you know, then just celebrate my birthday with, you know, Blink 182 or whatever. Exactly. And Gigi Bell, at least Gigi's there. At the and Gigi night. Bell was always there with a friendly happy birthday SVP and blah, blah, blah. So, you know, it was cool. I love Gigi. But um, yeah, no, that's it. So, I remembered in 99, I did a thing at the garden called it was like the 20th century greatest sports heroes for 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 Sports Illustrated. We did mm -hmm. this big live taping thing. And that was back in the day where they were just throwing stuff at celebrities like there was a oh, little bit God, of crackdown because yeah. the tax free. But this is where you get the fifty thousand dollar gift bag, you know, worth of stuff. 
And I had to go around for this guy who worked for like Ralph Lauren or Calvin Klein or somebody. He's like, go ask the celebrities if they want a free pair of new eyewear and all this crap. And I remember going up to Tiger Woods, you know, and I was like, hey, man, you can get some free sunglasses. Let me hook you up. You know, he's like, nah, I don't wear that shit. He goes, I'll take some of their underwear. If they want to give me some underwear, I like the underwear. And I was just like, son, buy your own underwear. Like, what the hell, you know? Right. But uh, I just thought of that. I, I sometimes share anecdotes with listeners, but we'll get back to the serious stuff. But, you know, you know, I grew up in one of those, you know, I had a single mom, right? My dad left when I was four or five. I lived in the kind of apartments that the Kushners owned, right? Mm. That they're, mm-hmm. they're famous, you know, it's not a term I like, but they call them like slumlords, right? They sort of right. own a lot of these low slung apartment complexes in the Baltimore and Washington area, you know, two, mm-hmm. three stories, mm-hmm. 60s kind of brutalist architecture you know no trees or bushes or anything just like these you know like if you watch the wire kind of almost like those kind of complexes that was a lot of what this stuff looked like and you know you'd have infestations you'd have cockroaches you'd have things like that went wrong and if you complained you'd get evicted and when i grew up like i'd come home from from like elementary school every day and somebody would be evicted in my neighborhood, you know, and all their stuff would be out on the sidewalk. And that's what we lived in fear of, you know, you, you didn't want that to happen to you. And there's such an inhumanity to that. When you see a child stuffed animals and their bedding and their clothes and sneakers out, just put out on the sidewalk, no social safety net, no kind of thing. And you're doing it to people, you know, you're talking tiny rents you're back then we're talking like mm-hmm. late 70s or you're talking 380 a month 400 dollars a month you know not yeah. not the kind of like thing where anybody's gonna sweat letting that person slide for a few months and figuring out how to get them in a section eight situation or something you don't have to yeah. put people on the street but they brutalize people in poor neighborhoods and it became institutionalized you know reagan came in and made that the philosophy of the gop Ketchup is a vegetable. Screw you. Free lunchtime is over. Free mental Mm -hmm. health care is over. You know, free drug counseling is over. We're going to lock you up because now we're not just making license plates in prison. Right. We're making all kinds of other things. And that's a lot of goddamn free labor for two cents an hour, not to mention privatized prisons. Right. Privatized prisons only turn a profit if they're always full. Right. And that became an industry and it became an industry in these rural areas where the prison guards were themselves victims in many ways of this sort of like economic, you know, boot heel on their neck. But they're on the other side of the fence. Right. They're the white. You have too many prisoners per guard. Right. So they get dehumanized. Right. They get dehumanized. And then, you know, it's and that's in law enforcement. Yep. Right. You know, I have friends who became NYPD cops and it changed them thankfully some of them changed back, but, you know, basically they're like, look, my job is to beat up black people. That's what they pay us to do, you know, mm-hmm. is to harass people in the hood to make white people feel safer. You know, that was Giuliani, Bratton, you know, Ray Kelly. That was the philosophy. Yeah. It yeah. was certainly Giuliani. Oh my God. Um, I mean, just, all right. So yeah, that was a lot. So it, it, with the all prison, right. <laughs> prison pipeline, you also, uh, had a lot of judges that were compliant with that. Yeah. So it's like, you know, you, you, you made like an honest mistake. Let's say you, you freaking grabbed like a, a, a jar of mayonnaise cause it had like Darth Vader on it or, or right. some kind of like, you know, a uh, marketing tie in or something like that. 
And, you know, whereas in the suburbs, you know, you know the cop, and I'm kind of, I guess I'm kind of touching on something Richard Pryor used to say. It's like, yeah, but you know the cop in that neighborhood. So that cop sees your kid acting up. There's a little slap on the wrist. He brings you over. You're embarrassed a little bit. Maybe they scare you a little bit, but you get to go home. Right. You know, you're a 10 year old in the hood. It's a completely different scenario. Like you, you damn near get prosecuted as if you were a 30 year old that just hit somebody with a car or, or, right. or you know did a drunk driving thing. and the next thing you know you're in the system and the next thing you know you're you're just a cog in the wheel you're in the matrix and and there's no way out now because you know you're deemed a problem child and you know they're pumping you with Ritalin and especially back in the day Ritalin was like the 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 sort of like the the fail safe right. for a kid that was like too hyper it was, it was a child it was, you know, and this is just a child and you just have to try to figure out a way to relate to the child. But instead you pump the kid up with Ritalin or some other crazy drug. And that went on forever. Right. And that didn't help anybody in terms of like behavioral issues. Uh, yeah, just, just a mess. Um, just a mess. Absolutely a mess. And you bring up some great points, you know, like once you get in the system, it's very hard to not to get back out of the system, right? Probation right, right. is set up basically so you're, you know, to punish you after you've served your time, right? Mm -hmm. It's very hard not to, or, you know, parole and stuff like that. It's very hard not to violate that stuff. You know, it, it's designed to humiliate. And the great example is this woman in Texas, you know, her name is Angeli Gomez. She's the woman who raced in there and saved her two kids, right? It turns mm -hmm. out now she's on probation and she's been on probation for like 10 years, which is ridiculous because she's a, she works, she's got a family. You're like, what the hell is she doing at 10 years on probation? She only looks like she's 30 years old anyway, right? But they called her up after she did what she did, the, the authorities in Texas and said, if you talk to the press, we're going to see it as a violation of your probation. They tried to intimidate her. And she said, screw that. I'm going to talk to you anyway and tell you mm -hmm. what happened. And what happened for the listeners who don't know is she was working her job, which is skilled labor. She was working on a farm. That's not unskilled labor. That's backbreakingly hard, very difficult, very skilled work that puts food on your table. So respect it as such. So yeah. she's doing her honorable, hardworking job. Here's there's a shooting in the elementary school that her kids attend, hops in her car, drives 40 minutes, parks her car past the barricades where the cops had set up, right? So she took mm -hmm. her vehicle closer to the school than the cops even got, saw the snipers laying on the ground with their long rifles and stuff, not doing anything. They tried to, you know, she started screaming, like, get in there and do something. She's hearing gunshots. They put her in handcuffs. She talks her way out of the handcuffs because she knows somebody and they're like, oh, you know, let her out. I know her. They let her out of the cuffs and she runs into the school, saves mm -hmm. her one kid, gets the kid out while the shooter's firing, hears that the firing is still on that end of the school and knows where the classroom is that her other kid is in there, goes in and gets their, her other kid out. So she not only does some like Delta Force level, like listening to where the shots are, you know, and measuring it and escaping, mm -hmm. you know, with her children. She saw no cops in the hallways inside the school, nobody doing anything to save these children. Like, that's mind boggling. And then she gets, you know, she, then she gets, hey, you better not tell anybody what you saw because we're trying to cover this up. I mean, this Ovaldi case and this just so the listeners know, 
you know, Stephen came on two weeks ago to cover the Buffalo shooting, and we did a very emotional episode. It's on YouTube about that, right? But since then, there's been this other, you know, shooting that 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 rivals it in horror, if not, you don't want to say one is worth the other, but there's something about little children and not being saved, right? Buffalo had an armed guard, right? An ex-cop gave up his life because he engaged yeah. right away and started shooting. An African-American veteran of the police source force was not scared right but all these white dudes and cowboy hats you know that act like fucking rambo all the time right you know yeah the- and isn't that the thing like right? so here it is this is supposed to be texas right right tough guys all these now. tough guys and in, yeah. in, in in walker texas ranger which i, I would probably be canceled right now right. If, if if it were you know because there would be at least that much of a public outcry you guys in Texas, you know, you're supposed to be tough. You're supposed to be like, you know, you're supposed to be like, remember the Alamo and all this other shit, you know? And it, and it's like, are you kidding me? You right. guys actually just, just like, it, it, it's, it's like you said, it, it, it's just baffling. It, it, it's like really. And, and the optics alone um, leave, I want to say leave a lot of us that aren't white to, to kind of be like, Okay, so were you guys just waiting to find out the nationality of the shooter? Is that like this is the kind of stuff that's being discussed, maybe not on television, but in the street? It most certainly is. It's like, so so what exactly was the holdup? What exactly made you big tough hombres right. uh like hold off on g- saving children? Right. What, what was what was the what like what was the thing and and it's like and it was so funny because i, I i've posted a fair amount of uh sarcastic things on on social media uh, it, at least a couple of things and then other people they they're not hearing that i'm just making fun of of, of the texas cops and they're taking that to, to to mean i'm slamming all cops it's like i'm not slamming all top cops because first of all i don't have that kind of free time like if i actually <laughs> sat down and said like i would have to dedicate at least a straight two days if i really wanted to just break down everything that's wrong with law enforcement in this country and then and post it uh that that would take forever i was literally just focused on this one incident and then other people started getting and 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 just to something you said earlier this, this is unfortunately this is how we're socialized where we can't even handle hearing the truth without in our own heads, getting things twisted up. It's like, I'm just talking about these, this, this one group of cops right. who failed to do what they are supposed to do. They, you know, protect and serve emblazoned in, across the vehicle. There was no protection. There was no serving in this particular incident. So at best, you know, and considering that none of these guys are going to like lose their pension Right. Get get in any kind of trouble. Well, you know, it, they have criminal immunity. They can't get into trouble. And then that's the thing. Right. So you got all this stuff going against them, going for them. Um, well, you know, as far as I'm concerned, if if you get ridiculed on the Internet, well, you know, that's kind of tough titties. <laughs> it's like I, I'm not I'm not above, um, you know, the, the like if if I had screwed something up that badly, whatever it is paint whatever scenario you need to paint i would be publicly ridiculed absolutely the same should apply the same should definitely apply to these people that fail to save these kids or at least attempt to save these kids 
hundred percent. You make so many great points. And, and I hear you, you know, me, my whole Twitter is like sarcastic jokes and the first, oh, yeah. and I don't oh, make yeah. fun. Of, there's nothing funny about that situation, but the first cutting remark I had was a joke. I said, they should have just told the cops that they were teaching CRT in those classrooms and they would have yeah, rushed in. And I put it in my draft. I said, this is going to be too, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, it's just too cutting for the moment. Let me give them some benefit of the doubt. By the next morning, it came out that the cops froze and they didn't rush in. And I saw those disastrous press conferences. And I was like, y'all earn this. I'm tweeting this thing. And it got, you know, 30,000 likes. But you you made the point, like protect and serve. It's literally in the Uvalde manual that you have to be willing to put your own life at risk to save people in the event of an active shooter. So they disregarded their own policy. And if if that shooting had happened in River Oaks, which is a wealthy neighborhood outside of Houston, mm-hmm. and that elementary school was populated with white children and That's the parents right. were outside saying, your ass better get in there and do something, you can be damn well you know, certain that the cops would have rushed in in that case. Not, and I'm not saying that all those cops always have hate in their heart, but I'm saying they would have treated the situation differently. They certainly wouldn't have been putting old white ladies in handcuffs, little Karens in Houston that were saying, go, you know, they wouldn't be tasing them. And if you watch, right, you watch the videos of the cops, all their body language was they were more worried about the parents. I'm not saying they weren't freaked out about the shooting. They were, but they were, they they sort of viewed the parents as a threat too. And that's what everybody who's not white talks about in policing, you know, and what I had the privilege of witnessing growing up the way I did, you know, and also feeling like I'm not going to get in trouble because I'm the white kid. Like, you know, <laughs> it, it was me. Here, let me put it, me and my friends, you know, most of my, my best friend was black. My other best friend was like from, you know, Palestine, he was Palestinian, you know, like, I was like, I look like little Lord Fauntleroy, right? And we were, we were, we were hellions, right? This is the seventies. We were latchkey kids, you know, we yeah, just yeah, yeah. egg in cars and just, you know, there was a mall by us. We were just always getting in trouble. Mm-hmm. And I was always the one who got out of trouble. I'm a slick talker. And you know, what are you doing here, kid? Get out of here before you get in trouble. Whereas, you know, Khalif Browder is a 15 year old kid who gets accused of stealing a backpack and does three years in Rikers, two of it in solitary confinement. He's a 15 year old who's five foot two. You know what I mean? Like, like, so it's obvious that there's a problem. It's so institutional. It's not, you know, it's not something you change every night overnight, but it's something that we have no choice but to amplify now. And I think if there's anything and I don't want to say good because nothing good can come out of a tragedy like Uvalde, but you couldn't have a bigger police fail, you know, and, and people that are normally like pro institution are like, oh, man, those guys messed up so hard. And it'll poke a hole in that bullshit iconography that Texas always pushes on everyone because you nailed it. It's like Walker, Texas Ranger, you know, like Lonesome Dove. Like I, I've done a couple Super Bowls and NBA All-Stars in Texas. They got like so many different kinds of cops. Like they got like 20 brands of cops. They got state troopers, rangers, DPS, like, uh, you know, border patrol, which, by the way, what the fuck was the border patrol doing responding to that? I know it's near the border, but the people that finally apparently went into the classroom were like border patrol agents. The, the, the town's budget, 40 percent of it is spent on the police force and they have their own SWAT team. 
How did that SWAT team not get assembled and respond to a school shooting? If you can't respond to a school shooting, what do you have a SWAT team for? Like SWAT teams exist for bank robberies and school shootings. <laughs> you know what I mean? And you got border <laughs> patrol agents, you know? So the whole thing stinks to high hell. They obviously have one of the most corrupt governors, you know, in this country. And that's saying something. So yeah. I think if anything, it will it will change some hearts and minds in Texas. You know, they're getting sold a bill of goods. And that whole tough guy Texan thing, if you go there, you know, th they have the highest obesity rate in the country. Like you think mm -hmm. it's going to be all like tough guys riding around on horses and you go there and like everybody's like overweight, you know, <laughs> and like eating fast food like that you know what and i mean they traded in the horses for those little scooters exactly dude <laughs> exactly like i saw an him and i'm you know this is a generalization folks i'm a comedian there's a lot of good hip people all over this country you know but and in, in austin particularly even right exactly austin is dope. I, I love texas i like texas songwriters willie nelson all you know i'm lonesome dove larry mcmurtry was one of my favorite novelists like mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i like texas i mean i'm down with texas but it blues you know lightning hopkins is from texas i mean it doesn't get better than that but mm -hmm. um you know it, it's 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 the myth you know america is suffering from a myth problem and i think if anything is happening in these days we're learning the myth is bullshit and some of us knew that earlier than others you know i always thought it was weird like i pledge allegiance i was like pledge allegiance I'm in third grade. Like maybe I should decide who I'm pledging allegiance to. You oh, yeah. know what I mean? But we're taught not to question our government. That is right. Now, and, and the Second Amendment is bullshit, right? They were talking about a well-regulated militia that would be empowered and weaponized by Congress, meaning Congress. Right. And, would your, and your average yokel has taken that to mean right. that their citizenship makes them automatically part of this militia, but it, it, it's neither organized and, and, and who the hell are you to actually right. even want to actually even think you have the right to just randomly own something that can blow like a, 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 a grapefruit size hole into somebody just because. Right. Just because of some random shit you heard on Fox. Which is why you know, the, the cops are coming right. over the border and, 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 you know, the, the, the great re replacement theory and all this other made up nonsense just to keep you agitated. It, 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 and yeah, it, it's all down. It, it does to your point, it does come down to how people are socialized. Right. You know, and, and the school thing. And you know how, how upset I am speaking about being, being a little kid in a public school, like, we used to play cowboys and Indians. Now, first of all, right. you, you little kid in the, in the city, the, the, the scenario of cowboys and Indians is so far removed from your reality, yet there you are playing cowboys and Indians, right? And then nobody wants to be the Indian because, of course, they lost or they're the bad guys. Meanwhile, the actual history is no, they weren't the bad guys, right. first of all. Right. And, and, and they were being systematically wiped out. And then somehow that translated into a kid's game that reinforces the bullshit. Dude, dude, I just wrote a bit on that this week. I said, okay. when I was a kid, we played cowboys and Indians. That's obviously politically incorrect. Now it should be called racist and indigenous people. Yes. You know? Racist That's, and Native yeah, exactly. Americans, right? You, there's no good, there's no gray area in that. You know, it's the people that came to slaughter, you know, other people and steal a land with the power of the gun. If, if, mm -hmm. if the white folks didn't have guns, it wouldn't have worked out that way. 
the way it did. You know, this would be probably a paradise right now. And there'd be some white people living alongside, but they slaughtered also the population that probably lived in concert with the earth better than anybody else. You know, like Mm -hmm. it breaks my heart to think of the knowledge that we probably lost, you know, in wiping out a culture that had been here for tens of thousands of years and lived in this rugged and beautiful land in concert with nature and knew which herb to eat to cure an ailment, knew how to like from earth and honor it at the same time, right? They didn't keep their animals in centralized factories for profit. You know, they ate a buffalo and worshiped it and used every part of it to help sustain them and then honored its spirit. That stuff is not hocus pocus. That's how you live on this planet and thrive. Okay. Yeah. Cause there's energy yeah. in this earth that we don't even know about. And we've lost, it's like burning a whole library full of books, you know, and being like, Oh, Shakespeare didn't say which white people are guilty of too. Uh, bingo. I didn't even see that. I walked <laughs> right into it. Right. But you know what I'm saying? I and do. That, that was replaced with industrialization with get a gun, get a power. Now we got coal, we can burn, we can get a locomotive and we'll get a bunch of people from China to build the railroad and make them, you know, and then we'll steal a bunch of people from Africa and make them work the fields. And then we'll get all rich on it and we'll congratulate ourselves. Right. Yeah, and, yeah. and how we're bringing this new democracy to the world. And, and let's go back to the Second Amendment thing. Patrick Henry was an anti-federalist, as was George Mason. And both of those guys wouldn't sign the Constitution. They were both framers, you know, founding fathers. They wouldn't sign it. So to appease them, they had another like Virginia ratification ceremony. And they said, all right, you know, James Madison or whatever, like, we'll come up with this militia thing. Because those guys were worried, like, if the government decided to become abolitionists and the army didn't protect them, then they were going to get slaughtered by the enslaved people. And Patrick Henry at the time was the governor of Virginia and the largest owner of enslaved people and a wealthy man off of his plantations. Mm -hmm. And what else had just happened right then? The Haitian Revolution, right? Where the Haitians had thrown off their French colonial captors and became the first free black nation in the Western Hemisphere. And then they pulled some other hocus pocus and said, now y'all got to pay reparations to your owners. And that's why Haiti is still impoverished because they were bound with these laws like, all right, y'all can be be free, but you got to pay us back what you were worth to me, which is just insane. Right. Insane. Right. That's some shit. And, And, you know, my grandma passed away a couple of weeks ago. She went and built schools in Haiti and wells and did a lot of work there. And most people still don't even know that story. But not about my grandma, but about the Haitian Revolution. But my point is the Haitian Revolution had just happened at that time. It was like 1784 or something. So Mm -hmm. these guys spoke out against it. George Washington, all these cats were like, yo, yo, that's violence. That's not good. Like they were all writing op eds like, what are y'all doing down there in Haiti? Come on, peace Mm -hmm. and love. Don't be cutting our heads off. Right. So that's what these dudes were worried about. It was all racism at its core and how do we dominate another group of people and protect our way of life and that dovetails perfectly with the modern nra you know which was taken over in the late 70s by a racist this dude named harlan who liked to shoot immigrants and stuff and and Mm -hmm. introduced legislation called like wetback legislation it was an open racist and he basically had a coup at the nra because the nra wasn't always like nazis like it is now it used to legit you know, be like dudes who like to shoot rifles and go hunting. 
And right, you know, right. there's only so much money in that, right? You're only going to buy so many deer rifles in your life, right? But if you tell these white people they need a bunch of military style weapons to protect mm-hmm. themselves up in the suburbs because, you know, the black folks are coming and the Mexicans are all coming to kill them. Then these dudes are buying guns every other day. Yeah. Right? And that's what we see now. I'll make one more point. Gun hoarders. OK, people are hoarding guns, bro. Yeah. And, and, and let's just tie this into the like Second Amendment. OK, so you're talking well-regulated militia. OK, right now there's 400 million guns in this country. Half of those guns, 200 million guns are owned by 3% of the population. 3% of the population is 10 million people. So there's 10 million people that have at least 20 guns apiece, right? Modern weapons, okay? They basically think they're Michael Gross and Tremors. Bingo, right? The armed services itself has 1.3 million active duty members Mm -hmm. and 800,000 reservists. So 2 million people, right? So do you think the founding fathers meant we're going to have a well-regulated militia that's five times as big as the actual army? No, No, right? Do you see what I'm saying? Nobody would empower like private citizens to have the ability to sort of, you know, take over the army. Obviously, that can't happen now because we have bigger weapons, (laughs) you know, which is the other argument. Like, if you just want to simplify it, mine's complicated. Simply like, you're going to overthrow the government? Like you're going to you're going to shoot at a freaking tank like, you know, or a nuclear bomb like you're not. Right. So the whole thing is just such bullshit. You know, it drives me nuts. Yeah. No. Um, I mean, as far as all that that goes, I mean, I feel like um, with the Constitution. OK, when it, think about when it was originally put down, you, know, you did have like the skirmishes with the Indians. You did have the threat of slave revolts. And I'm sure that you know, those those good old boys with their massive plantations and making, because this isn't, here's another thing that, that people don't really talk about when they talk about, you know, when the conversation of reparations or any of that stuff comes out, is that the reason, the main reason that this country is so wealthy in the first place is because for a time, we supplied the entire world with cotton. And once the cotton gin was built, uh, our output like like just went up astronomically. I forget the exact math, but it was insane. And you can think about that for a second. You're supplying cotton and every country, everybody is using cotton. You're supplying most of the world with cotton. You, and it's our gross national, it's our biggest gross national product at the time. It is how this country got as wealthy as it is. Yep. Yep. And and, and that alone, okay, is one of those big things that somehow doesn't make it into actual school curriculum. Right. Doesn't. Don't talk about it. Not even in Black History Month. Nobody, no, at no point in school did they say, well, you know, um, one of the reasons that America is so wealthy is because of how we beat these Black folks up until they made so much cotton that we were able to supply the entire planet with it. Right. Nobody brings that up. All you talk about is Dr. King, little Malcolm X, and then anything else. You, you know, if you're a black kid, you go learn that. You go learn that from your mom or your grandmother. And then, of course, if you're not, you don't know any of that stuff. And, you know, the way the Dr. King thing is framed, of course, is that, well, you know, racism was a thing. But, um, you know, we, we kind of solved it after we killed Dr. King. And you know what? 
there's, there's really no reason for them to be, to be complaining about. Look at MTV. CJZ, isn't he having a good time? Yeah, black people don't have a problem anymore. Look. Anyway. Uh, the, no, that's great. And the doctor, go. No, no. I, and all I was going to say was, you know, it to, to frame the whole, going back to the whole CRT thing, you know, and, and just the fact that you're not teaching the actual history, you're going to constantly have everybody at odds. Right. Because- you have MSNBC more or less telling a, a version of the truth, which, of course, is closer to the actual truth without, you know, I, you know, with leaving certain things out. But over on the Fox side, it's just all fabrications and bullshit right. in all this sort of like, no, no, no. It's like nobody, no one really has an argument. No one really has anything to complain about. This is a wonderful country and everybody's treated equally and everything is fine. Meanwhile, that is complete nonsense, complete nonsense, complete trash. And, and, and yeah, so it, it just gets exhausting because you, you end up in these arguments with these people that, that don't know the history of the country, don't know how we got here and think they're completely justified in feeling how they feel, completely think that whatever is wrong with the black community, that's completely our fault. Um, and while there are certain things that, yeah, we probably could have, you know, maneuvered out of or whatever. But the funny thing is, is that, you know, it, it's hard to maneuver when you're in the same fishbowl. Yeah. It's hard to maneuver out of, out of certain things when you're in the same space where, you know, it, it, it's like you, you, your truth is being denied and you're constantly in a place where you have to do more and still get less. Right. Yo, and, and, and your trauma has never been addressed, right? The original oh, yeah. thin of what yeah. we did to the black community and, and what we continue to do from Jim Crow laws all the way through the civil rights in the mid 60s, you know, five years before I was born, you and I wouldn't be drinking out of the same water fountain. What the hell is that? And we don't even address that. And then you look at the black community and what they've contributed to this country, how they responded to malice and brutality with beauty, with art. Right. With with jazz, with blues, with rock and roll, with all these other commodities. Right. That then the white folks are like, oh, there's a lot of money in this. Let's do an Elvis. You know, let's sell a thousand records. Right. I yeah. always make, I want to write this bit like, all right, if you don't want to pay reparations, how about paying black folks for what they've given jazz? Right. That's got to be worth a couple hundred million dollars. Rock and roll. That's a few billion dollars right there. Yep. Right. Hip hop, thankfully, now, you know, is in the hands of many black entrepreneurs. But, you know, and I'm just talking about entertainment. Right. How about all the all the scientific inventions? How about all the medical contributions? How about the contributions to legal right to legal things in this country? Do you know what I'm saying? To, 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 to like teaching us how to react to our better selves. How about like how to, you know, when I grew up, the, the thing I got and, and it was one of the best blessings of my life was, was, was having a multicultural like neighborhood, you know, and, yeah, and when times were bad, you know, what I learned from my black friends was like how to dance. You know, they would dance and party in a way where I would tend to hold on to resentment, you know, like mom's an alcoholic, dad's missing, like what's there to fucking, you know, celebrate. And they'd be like, well, this is what we got. Let's just celebrate. 
Let's just yeah. have a block party. Let's just yeah. dance and unselfconsciously enjoy life. And that's something white folks can learn from. You know, I, my, my, you know, I remember the first time I, I brought uh, a date who'd never been exposed to, to the black community to a wedding in Brooklyn, a black friend of mine who was an actor, great actor named Greg Prather. I went to the American Academy of Dramatic Arts with him and he was getting married and she was like growing up on the Upper East Side, like, you know, sort of wealthy, different kind of world. Right. And the first time she saw an electric slide in full effect, she was like, oh, my God. You know, where has this been my whole life? I'm just using that example, but where is this just pure, like, sort of like joy, joy, pure joy, man. And joy is what we need. Joy is not an affect. Joy is your birthright. Joy is what you should feel in a healthy world. Like we yeah. should be celebrating full bellies and, and safe, happy, smiling kids, you know, and good food and music and helping each other out, you know, and honest work. And it's all right there for us, you know, so that's a bit of a rant, but that's always my take on it. Like, why are you still punishing people who who deserved, you know, who were well within their rights to sort of punch back in a way that the black community never did? You know, people mm -hmm. like to say, oh, well, you know, we've got to fear. No, what are you fearing from? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I should have been getting my ass kicked for just being white in my hood. And I never did, you know, like because it was acceptance. And also, you know. Because that's not human nature. And I think when you take a lot of things away from a people, what they really have gets stronger. The stuff mm -hmm. you can't buy, the stuff you don't put on, you know, like the white folks had wigs, right? All these guys and the fancy robes. And like you said in school, you spent a month learning about Thomas Jefferson. They never mention, and I saw this in a historical document recently. Uh, Ida Bay Wells, who did the CRT stuff, you know, put it out there and it showed the provisions that he would give the enslaved people for a month. Right. And it was like half a pound of fat back, a pound of flour, a pound of corn and a couple of dried fish and like five smelts. That was meant to feed an enslaved family of four for a month. So they were not only working them to the bone, they were starving them. Right. Yeah. The, the bare minimum to keep, keep a human barely alive, barely alive for profit. Right. Yeah. And that same model still exists today. Jeff Bezos is building rockets and doesn't want anybody unionizing, you know, wants to pay you twelve dollars. I'm not saying it's the same as slavery, but that economic model where you cut cost at the bottom became like a religion to the conservative elements of this country, right? That was the whole Reagan era and stuff. And like, greed is good. No, greed mm -hmm. isn't good for anybody. It rots your soul and it weakens the world around you. And now we're really feeling the effects of that on a massive scale, right? Because now the haves got it all, right? One, one to 3% of this country has like 90% of the wealth or something ridiculous like that. There really mm -hmm. is no middle class in the way there was. Right. And that middle class was created. I'll shut up. But that was created by socialism, by the New Deal, by Roosevelt and all these kind of guys are like, we're going to tax the top and we're going to start spreading it around because they just come out of the Great Depression and they saw what can happen, you know, and, and now it's sort of happening again. Yeah. I mean, all, all I was going to say on that was also was just like, you know, my whole thing about Reagan, because, you know. It's funny because as a child, I knew something was up right. with Reagan, something something really bad. Um, and at the time, I didn't even know that Reagan had already 
uh, cut the legs out from under the Black Panthers, which was a big thing because, you know, just going back to the whole NRA thing, it's like, so here, here you have the Black Panthers and they weren't like, you know, armed to the teeth and all this. They just had just enough weaponry to defend a community. Yeah. Just to be able to, like for when the cops came and tried to do you do some kind of overreaction to something. They're like, oh, no, 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 no. You can go. We've got this. Right. You know, it, it, and it's like it was like a, a whole thing. Policing your own communities and, right. and, and, and school lunches and, and just taking care of your own and making sure that the system didn't completely brutalize a community and hateful ass Reagan. Oh, no, 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 no. We can't brutalize. What 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 the hell is that? And I mean, you know, it's just like a, just a litany of horrible boogeymen that have plagued our community for the longest time from like Harry Unsingler, who I think I mentioned um, last time, uh, J. Edgar Hoover, who, I mean, literally, literally responsible for the harassment and, and, and ultimate like demise of every civil rights leader from Marcus Garvey on to Dr. King and Malcolm X and, and everybody in between, just with the surveillance and the, you know, uh, the, the, the pictures of, of stuff that, you know, maybe because I guess Dr. King, doc, well, there is no guessing Dr. King was, um, yeah, he was, I guess, cheating on his wife or whatever. But, you know, the fact that you got involved in that, that that's where tax dollars went. Yeah, you know, Don Lennon. Somebody, Don. Somebody's messing around on their wife it's right. it's generally a private matter. I'm not saying I'm not justifying. I'm not saying it's right or anything like that. But it's a private matter. But in that case, the government decided to say, "Oh, well, Mr. Civil Rights guy wants to have a little pot. Okay, we got a trick for that. Your tax dollars going to work." Yep. Yep. Your John tax dollars. You know, and it's like, how is this even? How does this even make sense? Right. How? You right. know. Um. You know, and it's like something we we, we kind of touched on uh, before we started. It's like my own personal belief has always been that government should have some level of compassion attached to it. You know, otherwise, what's the point? Although, you know, I because I can go fuck up my life all by myself. I don't need the government to come help me. You know what I mean? So I, I, I'm just kind of, I'm, I'm in this weird place right now, <laughs> especially going back to what we were talking about last time we were together with like Dr. Oz and, and all this. Like, you know, it, it, it's like, it just, it's just this never ending line of boogeymen. And, and it's like, you know, it's the only way I can, I can kind of explain it. And they just keep coming up and they keep, you know, spinning their little stories and their little, you know, they're, they're, they're little spin doctors and everybody else. And, and they get into all these, they get their hands into all these things and they, they, and they want to rule the country, but it's like, but you don't care about anybody. You, you're not there to serve the common good. So it's like, why do you want the job? And, and ultimately, I guess the answer is power. Power and more money. Power and more money. And, and okay, fine, but... You know, it, it, there is just in just a suffocating amount of hypocrisy attached to all that. And, you know, and yeah, so, you know, so here we have, among other things, uh, we have Dr. Ross, who, right. you know, as I mentioned before, you know, may have been great heart surgeon, quarterback, 
brilliant guy in his own way, but just, you know, not somebody you want in charge. Right. And Stephen, for the listeners, was Dr. Oz's head stage manager for many years. One season. Well, one season, one season. (laughs) He was out after one season, which tells you a lot about Dr. Oz, folks, because if you get uh you know a steady show usually you stay at it you know and we don't have to get into why you left but you know you made the point he's a billionaire basically his wife owns a splenda the big tree service company he's worth tens of millions of dollars he lives in new jersey on the palisades he's a Mm. turkish citizen he's got dual citizenship with a country that's run by a dictator and i got no problem with turkey i wear i wear sabas those are turkish shoes (laughs) make a little village in the middle east so i'm down you know i'm down But uh, they're cool. But um, I like style on my feet. You know how it is, even uh, around the house. <laughs> but, uh, you know, you never tr- you said it. It's like empathy. You want the politicians that have empathy. I always I don't always tell people this, but like I did a show with Jimmy Carter. It was the Goodwill Games. It was the late mm. 90s. And we were doing this thing down at the Wintergreen. You know, remember in, uh, the Twin Towers they used to have this like thing in front of it before they were destroyed it was like this big like glass thing i think they called it the winter green but it was the goodwill game so you had george pataki giuliani there mm-hmm. and uh some other big shots you know ted turner and and i was assigned to to jimmy carter and he shows up and he gets out of the little limo he's got like one secret service dude with him who was like this little asian dude with a lazy eye right and he was like my size and i'd never gotten the sense from another human being that they could kill me with their little fingers more than I did from this dude. You know, it was just like, I was like, Oh, this is the baddest motherfucker on the planet, you know, cause yeah. you'd look at him and you'd be like nothing to him. And then you sort of like looked another second and you're like, Oh no, that's Bruce Lee. <laughs> like that, right. dude, like that dude can handle his business. Like an Israeli, you know, guy. So you're just like, he was just, it was very funny. I still remember it like 20 years later, but, um, so, so Carter gets there, you know, and Giuliani had already thrown a temper tantrum on me. I've talked about this before. He cursed me out and all this stuff. And he wanted mm-hmm. to see the sides off of the teleprompter before he'd get out of the makeup chair. And I'm, I'm talking to you guys on the headset, you know, cause mm-hmm. stage managers are freaking out. Like, where's Giuliani? He's supposed to be stage right five minutes ago. And I'm like, he won't leave the dressing room. He's cursing at me. He's literally like cursing at me and throwing shit at me and stuff. But then I go to get Carter and all these guys are waiting and I start to bring Carter to the stage and he sees this little school kid, you know, who happened to be a a young, a young black girl. Right. It doesn't matter what color it was, but like he he sort of like went down to her level and talked to her like she was the only person in the world. And it wasn't because at first I was like, oh, he's talking to the black kid for the photo op kind of thing, because you see a lot of that Mm -hmm. shit, you know, a lot of people. Oh, look at me. I'm the man of the people kind of thing. This was legit. He was like, what's your name? What grade are you in? What's your favorite subject? What are you reading right now? What's the last piece of homework you did? Like he was just she was the only person in the world. And it was from a genuine like place of having an open heart and caring, Mm -hmm. you know, and like, that's what you want. I saw the same thing in President Obama. I saw the same thing in Bill Clinton, who's a flawed man by, by any metric, but, you know, cared about people. He came from nothing. He was Hope, Arkansas, single mom broke. You know, I yeah. don't trust billionaires that are running for office because if you have a billion dollars, you could do so much good anyway. You don't need the public office. You've got a billion dollars. You can go start paying off student loans and and getting animals out of shelters and feeding school kids. And, you know, you mentioned the uh, the Black Panthers like that. 
people don't even understand what the Black Panthers were because it was just told like, these are terrorists. This is something to fear. I knew Afeni Shakur, who was Tupac Shakur's mom. Okay, Mm -hmm. she was one of the original Black Panthers. I got to work with her on a VMA show, as a matter of fact, with her and Biggie's mom. We did at Lincoln Center. But, you know, I was a fan of hers. I knew who she was. And I sat down and talked to her about it. And the Black Panthers in Oakland were policing the police. And they knew because there was so much police brutality in that hood. They said, we're going to show up on the perimeter so we won't affect the police action because we know we have to stay within our legal rights. We're just going to observe. And if we see something out of line, we're going to report on it and we're going to do it armed. And the rest of their program was getting school kids breakfast and stuff because they was a completely impoverished, forgotten neighborhood, you know, so they were policing their own. They weren't like, oh, we're going to take down the government kind of shit. But Reagan, who was, as you mentioned, who was governor of California back then, signed a law that the NRA backed, which was taking away their weapons, was taking away their guns. Right. So the NRA has no problem taking guns away when they're in hands that aren't white and racist essentially right the, the the nra literally backed a bill the name of the bill is escaping me but anybody could look it up it was an nra backed bill that, mm-hmm. that governor reagan signed to take away the weapons from the black panthers you know which just shows the hypocrisy of the argument you know and 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 it like you said jf edgar hoover like when you talk about dr king in school when you're taught about it all they teach you is nonviolence, right they're just like nonviolence. And he said, don't hurt anybody. And he was a civil rights leader. And he said, yeah, don't hurt people. Even if we punch you in the face, don't punch them back. Right. They don't do shit on Malcolm X. Right. They don't want you learning about Malcolm X. <laughs> you know what I mean? Exactly. And, and, and Dr. King, I mean, I'm all for nonviolence. He was, a, you know, a, that that's a spiritual stand, you know, that we can all aspire to, you know, Gandhi, you know, these guys are doing this, but like, you know, I got to be careful with my words here, but you, you kind of feel like that would be updated a little bit. You know what I mean? Because there are times where self-protection is warranted. Right. Absolutely. You know, and I'll shut up now. But like, look at the Capitol attacks. You know, the hearings are starting next week. And as I was watching them and as many people were, I was like, if those were black folks. We'd be watching a bloodbath. They would have turrets on top of the Capitol right now, taking these dudes out. I remember. Uh, what's his name? Uh, wonderful comedian, uh, African American comedian, like the original um, guy in the '60s. I mean, before Cosby and stuff. Mm-hmm. I'll have to look it up. Red Fox? No, not Red Fox. Who I loved. Very politically outspoken. They just did a great documentary on him. Oh, Dick Gregory, maybe. Dick Gregory. Thank you. Thank you. I, the kindest compliment I ever had to somebody compared me to. I was like, no, what are you doing? Like when the publicists wow. do write ups, they I get Dick Gregory and Carlin and and other things that would just make me look like an asshole, you know, but you know how publicists are. They'll it's like but I, I was with Dick Gregory and I'm friends with Dick Gregory's. Oh, well, he passed away, but his publicist. Mm-hmm. But um, I believe yeah, he definitely passed. Right. Oh, but um, but uh, when. When Clinton got elected, the day Clinton got elected, I lived in D.C. and I was a bike messenger in Washington. And I went to a rally at uh, the, the park across the street from the White House. And this is before the whole thing was like on lockdown. You know, 14th Street was open, like Pennsylvania Avenue. You know, the White House was sort of right there. And there's the park across the street. And uh, I'm there at a rally with Dick Gregory. And he goes into a rant about this stuff, about how there's two sets of law. And he goes, every time I speak, 
you know, I've always had like FBI and people like follow me around. This is Dick Gregory, who was on one of those watch lists that Hoover put him on in the 60s. And he goes, and to this day, I'm a threat. And he goes, if you look over right now, you'll see some snipers on top of the White House. And I want everybody to turn and wave at them. And sure enough, he pointed at the White House and there's two snipers up there because there was a gathering, you know, in Lafayette Park or whatever it's called. And, you know, everybody waved. And he was like, hey, snipers, how you doing? And he waved and stuff. Right. But it was a lesson. You know, it was a lesson. And this at this point, he was old. You know what I mean? He was like 70 years old then. So, you know, it just shows there are two sets of, of, of rules. Right. Uh, you know, that's what Trump era is showing us, like the fact that these dudes are still walking free a year and a half after they did what they did. It came out yesterday that Mike Pence's chief of staff, Mark Short, had to call up extra Secret Service to protect Pence the next day because Trump was going to turn against him at the rally. Yeah, that's insane. I don't think and that didn't even barely registered. And you know what else is crazy about that whole story? So apparently he's very good friends with Dan Quayle. Oh, my God. But it was Quayle. At least this is how it's being framed. Because and and every time I hear a story like this, don't get me wrong, it's like it's a relief because it's like okay, well at least somebody over there has some kind of fucking sense. But then at the other side, it's like it's kind of like I also feel like they're also mitigating their because just in case full blown fascist Nazi whatever they have whatever a percentage of them seem to have kind of like ready for us in case that fails they don't want to lose the party completely so they they like to have like oh yeah well you they like to remind us about stuff john mccain did and they they, they, you know and then they have these little stories like this one about dan quayle which is apparently supposed to be true but um apparently pence got quayle on the phone and during the whole thing and it's like hey i don't know what to do and he was and, and quayle's words to him were apparently do your job and by that, he meant, you know, ratify Biden. Right. Which is is interesting because, I mean, l- let's face it, Dan Quayle's not invited to, to the barbecue. Right. Um, at all, <laughs> you know. Um, but here it is. It, it's like there was at least that much of a reasonable train of thought that got Pence through that. What's sad about that is that's going to actually be framed like as as heroism, right? You know, when that's really just bare minimum of what was supposed to happen. That's really just it, it, it's like we have gotten to the point where, you know, just expectations have just been so mitigated to the point where anything that's remotely decent, fair, or or just makes sense, just logical, is all of a sudden this like massively heroic act. And it's like, no, it's what you were supposed to do in the first place. <laughs> you know, it's but but this is how the narrative is, it, it is just so manipulated and, and, and just so corrupted right now. Right. It, 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 it's just like, yeah, you were supposed to ratify Biden because. He won the fucking election. Exactly. You're rewarded for doing your job. Right. Exactly. But now, and the thing is, you also had to think about it like this too. Mike Pence wants to be president. Yeah. 
And you're not going to be president if Trump takes over the entire world and then makes Ivanka president after, you know, he passes on. 100 percent. And he would have gotten executed. <laughs> you know, and I think he knew that at this point. If Trump and then took that's over. the other thing. Right. I, I, I think it is I, like in the moment, it doesn't seem like he had the full grasp of it. I mean, I think he knows now. Right. And, and that's why now all of a sudden he's all like, you know, now he's in press talking shit. You know, it's like, yeah, well, well, no, nah, man, fuck that. You know, <laughs> or his version of it, let's say, because he is, you know, and, and it's like, it, 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 it's just so funny because it's like who we decide is going to be the hero and who we decide is going to be the, the, the villain in these in these scenarios is it, it, just so so twisted up at this point that it it's like you don't even know what to make make of it outside of the fact that you know, we're just so manipulated yep. and, you know, and, and I'm pretty sure there's a lot of people in the, in the conservative side that just wish that the internet had never even happened because all of the horrible, heinous things that happen to indigenous people and, and, and black folks and Latinos and, and, and everyone, like all of that stuff is laid to bear now. Like some of it, thankfully, you know, I had a chance to, to chronicle some of it for uh, the YouTube channel, Extra Credit, uh, with the Tulsa riots and, 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 and various other things. And even how, you know, Jackie Robinson was being treated, you know, I mean, that's, of course, not not the most unknown story in the world, but it's it's seldom discussed in a, in a world where everyone's trying to convince everybody that, you know, oh, no, things are fine. You know, it's, a, you know, just a few, you know bad apples that are that are doing all this complaining because of civil rights and you know woman's right to choose and and, and all this other stuff it, it, it's like they frame it as one way we frame it as the other way and then the truth never really seems to to, to bubble to the surface except in you know except for people that are actively going out to find the truth yeah you got to search for it i mean i learned about the tulsa massacre because i used to go to the woody guthrie folk festival in okima oklahoma and I was out there and I went, I've landed in Tulsa and some folk singer, a liberal, you know, old white guy was like, you know what happened here, right? And that was when I first learned about it. And it wasn't long ago. I'm talking 2015 or 16 that I learned about it. And then I dug deeper and it was just one of many. There was the, oh, yeah. the in Florida, it's North Carolina. There's a bunch of those massacres. You know, yeah, I'm and, actually reading a book right now. Uh, the Colfax massacre. That was uh New Orleans. Right. Exactly. I mean, it just goes on and on and they try to protect you from that history. You know, the people's history of the United States is a book by Howard Zinn that that uses real historical documents to talk about, you know, and it wasn't just black folks, you know, white folks were getting abused too, like indigenous servants, little kids in factories with the door locks, sewing clothes and stuff. You know, it was, you know, humans have been cannon fodder for greed, and capitalism and industrialization. And we're all so much more on the same side than we realize, you know? And, and the true crime is that like Trump and these guys have really been able to d drive a wedge between us now more than ever, but like, fuck, his followers are gonna get screwed the hardest. You know, the fact when I yes, saw people are. being like, Obamacare sucks, I'm like, you got an oxygen tank on the back of your, you know, motorized scooter right now and tubes up your nose and you look like you're about 350 pounds, you know, <laughs> and it doesn't look like you're getting blue cross blue shield, you know, out of your job. You're getting socialized health care right now and you're right. railing against it, you know, so. You know, we're out of time now. We've been over an hour. We could talk for another hour. So you're going to have to come back and do it again. And uh, 
as a lot to cover. And let me just put my one more thing on that. Mike Pence, like, I feel like if he had gotten in that limo that he famously, you know, the secret service beast or whatever, Mm -hmm. he would have died. The next headline would have been Mike Pence has a heart attack leaving the Capitol. Right. And and you would have never known. He just had a heart attack. One of them secret service guys would have like stuck a little needle in him or whatever. And it would have been all over. I know that's crazy conspiracy, but I feel like he would have been out of there, especially if Trump then put in, you know, I for Chuck Grassley or whatever, they were going to make the, the pro tempro, you know, because there was a whole plan of like, if, if Pence left, they could have sort of seized the thing and done martial law. Hopefully, you know, they're not going to go that deep on it on January 6th, you know, on the hearings that start next Thursday, but it will be decent. And for the listeners that want to come see me, I'm going to be in New York City on Tuesday, City Winery. It's a 7.30 p.m. show. It's going to be a lot of fun. I got a friend opening and I'm doing my hour, my 70 minutes. I do a lot of rock and roll stories and a lot of behind the scenes stuff, you know, kind of like this podcast and then a lot of jokes. So it's a good time. Come on out the next night. I'm going to be in Philadelphia at the city winery. So I'll do my whole Constitution rap. Right. That's where it came from. I went down there in November and I went to the Constitution Museum, by the way, mm-hmm. It's like, you know, we all have holes in our education. I, I had a childhood where I wasn't like, you know, I've read the newspaper every day. I didn't pay attention to class, you know, so there's some stuff, you know, that, that we can all learn. My point is it's incumbent upon all of us to get these facts. So we're armed with them. Right. And uh Anyway, so but it'll be fun. <laughs> OK, it's not going to be a monologue on the Constitution. It's going to be some jokes, but there's going to be some truth in there. And I'm going to go hard after that grifter, Dr. Oz, who's now your Senate candidate. And uh, can I can I just throw yeah. in one thing real quick, which is very, very funny. Yeah. So John Fetterman, who's running against Dr. Right. Oz, he actually put in some campaign literature email thing that, that just like yesterday, he said, I didn't know that this was a flex, but. I actually live in Pennsylvania. I, I got to admit, that was pretty funny. That's very so, good. It, very if, good. If, you know, if nothing else, Pennsylvania do the right thing. Oh, my right. God. And, and Dr. Oz lives in Jersey. The other guy, David McCormick, lives in Connecticut. The other guy was like a hedge fund guy. He's oh, from the, the Carlisle yeah, Group. Right. Carlisle yeah, A hedge fund guy. That, that's a good choice. Right. It's, and that's what's happening. I mean, I, I got to shut up or we'll keep going. You know, I, I only like to take know, about an hour or so of these guys' times. I think this might be my longest episode ever, but it went fast. It was a good one, dude. You brought a lot of good points, man. I'm sure the people enjoyed listening to you. I know thank it's you. a great. Thank you for coming, dude. You come back. Tell them where to find you. Oh, yes. Um, hey, so uh, among other things, when I'm not doing this with Noel, I also write horror and dark fiction. Uh, you can find out all about that at www.laughingblackvampire.com. Uh, and uh, yeah, Beef, Wine, and Shenanigans, that's a podcast where we sometimes talk nerd stuff, but then we, because we're upset and we go into politics here and there. Uh, so yeah, that's, that's the name of the podcast. It's easy enough to find. It's everywhere you consume podcasts. Cause I pay a seven, I pay a millennial $75 a month to make sure I'm where I'm supposed to be. Um, and, um, yeah. And then I also have black history stuff on the YouTube channel, uh, extra credit, which if you really want to get down in your history real quick, uh, that's a good website with good YouTube channel to, uh, visit and consume, uh, mass quantities of information. And, yeah. Uh, that's all yeah. I got. Yeah. Perfect, dude. Check him out, folks. And, you know, black history is American history, right? It's even sold to you as something separate. It's American history. Black folks were here at the same time we got here or right after. (laughs) You know what I mean? Probably 
like a boat or two after, right? You know, they didn't take long, right? They're like, all right, I see some fields. We ain't going to clear them, right? So this country was built by, by, you know, by people that are not getting their due. And it's still marginalized in terms of, you know, I, I get why it's called black history. I'm just saying, I think white, my audience is mostly white folks, right? It's all white, mostly. And uh, I'm trying to change that, but you know how it is. <laughs> well, a couple of people may tune in now that I'm here. I hear you. No, I'm just kidding. You know, one of, you know I, I'm making a joke. Y'all know that. But my point is it's people, it's American history. We're a melting pot, man. We okay. all got to chip in and make this, better and you got to see the other as your brother and your sister and then it'll be fun flavor is good right we need diversity we need love and it's summertime get out there listen to some music listen to some birds get out in the sun you know go for a walk or a hike or throw a ball around you know because there's a lot going down and we need everybody on hand for the the next six months right because it's it's coming down to the wire but I'll shut up now. That was episode 66 of the Noel Kastler podcast. Come out and see me this fifth yeah. week, folks. And uh, we'll be back soon. Thank you. Peace.